0: As we consider this passage this morning, I want to dive straight in to reading a quote to you that I came across as I was doing some preparation this week, because I just found this quote so striking, and you might uh, see why as I read it. It says this from a commentator that I've been reading. We must have hearts that are harder than iron if we are not moved by the reading of this narrative. In those days, the believers gave abundantly of what was their own. We, in our day, are content not just jealously to retain what we possess, but callously to rob others. They sold their possessions in those days. In our day, it's the lust to purchase that reigns supreme. At that time, love made each man's own possessions common property for those in need. In our day, such is the inhumanity of many that they begrudge to the poor a common dwelling upon earth. The common use of water. Air and sky. That was written by Calvin in 1527. Yet that could have been written yesterday, couldn't it? Yesterday, somebody could have written those words. That in our day, we're content not just to jealously retain what we possess, but callously rob others. In our day, the lust to purchase is what reigns supreme. I find that striking, that that is over 400 years old. And yet, what Calvin said hit the nail on the head. And it really struck me. How much more true is that in 21st century Britain? You see, there's something fundamental about our fallen human nature, which is fundamentally selfish. Fundamentally self-centred and greedy, even. It's not just Calvin that noticed that, but right back in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 15, God sought to address our greed, our selfish nature, through establishing jubilee, where there was a return of property to others, a kind of a redistribution of of wealth, So that the greedy, or the the wealthy didn't just get wealthier and wealthier and wealthier, but actually there was an equitable distribution. In the time of, of writing the book of Acts, Luke would have been in a culture, a Greek and Roman culture, where there was certainly some attempt to try to address this, but it was very much a kind of quid pro quo thing. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And so in Greek and Hellenistic culture, there was some consciousness that we need to address our inherent selfishness, our inherent greed. Even in the 20th century, man has sought to try and address the problem of inequality and of greed. The 20th century saw the rise of communism. An ideology that in theory should have combated greed and inequality. Should have been a leveller for all people. As property was taken from one place and put in another place. Some have even suggested that this passage and the one that very much parallels it in Acts chapter 2 are kind of like precursors to communism. And actually, they've even, some people, gone as far as to say that the failings of communism are an excuse to reject what's being said in scripture here. But we reject it at our peril, actually. Just because communism has failed. To redistribute wealth does not mean to say that what Scripture tells us is not compelling and important today. See, actually, Christianity and communism are poles apart. Karl Marx, yes, he was a Jew, like Jesus, but that's about as far as the similarities go. Just for a moment, let's think. Communism is a man-made political system rigid in the way that it works. Christianity was motivated and inspired by the love of God. Communism was driven and ruled by law. Christianity is driven and ruled by love. Communism is characterised by a compulsion to do what you are told. Christianity is characterised by a relationship with God and a spontaneity to do what our loving God would have us do. Communism is atheistic. Dismisses any sense of spirituality in public life. Christianity is the Holy Spirit, Spirit filling us And touching us and bringing a reality into our daily lives. That we are spiritual beings. Broken and in need of repair. Communism seeks to control property and people. Christianity releases people to live as God intended. To see that all that we have is a gift. And yes, yeah, sure, we've got responsibility. Christianity is driven by a compassion for the poor, whereas communism comes from a suspicion, maybe even a hatred, of the rich. So let's not dismiss this passage just because other ideologies might have failed in trying to do something similar. And say, well, yeah, that was just a a Jewish experiment in first century Palestine. Can't work today. This is not a prescriptive thing here, but there is something that cuts deep into our hearts here as we look at this practical testimony of Christian living. See, it's not driven by law, this, but by God at work in a people who are totally committed to living their lives in the light of what God had done for them. Totally committed to living in the power of the Holy Spirit. They couldn't do this in their own strength any more than any one of us could do it in our own strength. But they did it. Because from the very inside of their being, Jesus had taken a hold and was shaping who they are and what they did. When you think about it, verse 32, all the believers, that was a big bunch of people. It wasn't just a small group and gathering like us today. There were thousands of them. And yet they held together in one heart and mind because fundamentally at the core of what was going on was their love for the Lord Jesus who had died for them had risen from them, had ascended on high see their testimony starts not because they were do gooders how often are church people thought of as do gooders probably people we know think we are kind of do-gooders because we come to church, because we're associated with church people. That's not what Christianity is about. It's not about do-gooding. These people were not do-gooders trying to earn their way into heaven any more than we should be trying to earn our way into heaven by doing nice things. Though those are good, to do those nice things. But verse 31 they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. And because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they wanted to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus who came, we sang it from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, we sang, Lord, we lift your name on high. Jesus came to show the way. He came and told us that the kingdom of God is near. He came and told us to seek first the kingdom of God. He came to draw us to himself. Not so that we could have our own cosy religious club. A club that might give us maybe a sense of identity or security. Now he came that, that we might be drawn closer to him. Recognising our failings because, boy, I have failings. And I'm sure if I looked you in the eye, you would recognise you have failings too. But we rely on his help to show something of the kingdom of God. <coughs> Of what is yet to come, yes. But actually, the kingdom of God is near, Jesus said. And he wanted us to be kingdom people, displaying kingdom values. And in this passage, we see a very practical outworking of these kingdom values that actually each of us needs to respond to. I'm afraid this is not for us to each say complacently, well, this is for other people. I'm not greedy. This is for each of us as individuals and actually as a church to respond to. Because As we identified right at the beginning, Calvin and before him, Deuteronomy identified that fundamentally our broken humanity means that we can easily edge towards selfishness. But praise God, that's why we come together to hear God's word, to to feed on it and to be encouraged and to ask God's help seems to me there are two things that are in this passage as we look at it. It starts with a radical attitude. That radical attitude said, actually, all that I have, all that I have, all that I am, is a gift from God. That's a radical attitude. It says, my security is not on what I own. It's not in the position that I hold. It's not in the job that I do. My security is in who I am before God. Loved. Cherished. Created. Gifted by God. That is a radical attitude. It's so easy, isn't it, to find our security in stuff and status. So easy to listen to the world and and hear what is so strongly peddled in our media age that if you got this or you look like that or you do this then yeah you're moving on up you're a little bit more acceptable but it goes beyond that because it's been going on for for generation after generation so easy for those things to take the place of God and when they do They become hard, maybe even impossible, in our own strength to release. Because they become so much a part of us. And they've taken the wrong place. Not that those things are wrong. Not that stuff is wrong. Not that responsibility in a job or in an organisation or in anything is wrong. But when those things become the be-all and end-all, and I hold on to them so tightly that no, you don't to come near me because that's mine and I ain't going to let you have a bit of it and we would never say it quite like that would we (laughs) we would never quite say it like that but we would dress it up nicely but still make it known that that area there is a no-go area no way does God or anybody else get their hands on that and we're prisoners then We're prisoners to anything that has that kind of hold on us. But the radical attitude is there in verse 32. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Yes, people owned stuff. That's not wrong. In fact, that's perfectly right. That's perfectly right. Right. They didn't claim it to be their own. They didn't have a hold on it, but they held it lightly and said, I have this. Thank God for this. But if someone has a need, then well, maybe, maybe that's the thing that I need to lay down to enable somebody else. But they were freed from that grasping. Holding stuff lightly doesn't mean to say that we're careless with stuff. That we just treat it really badly because, well, it's, it's, it's not mine anyway. We have a responsibility to be good stewards. We recognise that God has given us what we have and we give thanks. And we use it as if we're reporting to God, which we are, in fact, all the time. And saying, God, is that good? Have I done okay with that today? The radical attitude says our hearts are turned constantly to God, willing to give what we have for God's glory. So it starts with a radical attitude of our hearts, but then it continues. It's not just an attitude, but it's actually an action. There's a sacrificial action, secondly. And you see the example of the sacrificial action in verses 36 and 37. We're introduced to a man named Barnabas, son of encouragement. And he kind of lived out exactly what was being described. Later in Acts, he's described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. If I can have that on my epitaph, I'll be happy. A good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Barnabas. Saw a need, sold a field he owned, brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet and said, you guys, work with this, please. Sacrificial action. wonder what happens when you give. When you give in the offering. When you give through the banking system. When you give to works or to charities that you support. Is there a sense of sacrifice? Or just not think about it? Just, just put some stuff in. That's my bit done. It's actually not about the amount that you give. Think about the widow's offering in Luke chapter 21. Two small coins. Actually, Jesus saw that as far more than all that the rich people were putting in, those two small coins, because that woman's heart was saying, here is what I have, and all I have, I give. Don't matter what that is. I've become aware from time to time, both in this church and in other places that I've been, of incredible acts of generosity of heart. And I'm certain that there's much that goes on in this church fellowship that I don't know about, I don't need to know about, actually I don't want to know about it, because God knows about it. Bless you when your heart is generous and you give because you see a need. But maybe and here's the challenge, maybe you see needs and you think, yeah, somebody else will deal with that that's not my problem maybe you hear that the church budget is in deficit and you think, well, somebody else will deal with that someone else will sort it when maybe we need to come before God and say Lord Lord can I do something? Can I be the person that contributes to that need? Is there something I can do, Lord, that would enable such and such to happen? Could I be the person that just anonymously gives something in the offering and just puts a note on it saying, for such and such? Or just puts something through somebody's letterbox because you know that there's a need. See, Luke records in Acts here that there was much grace upon them all. Something that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that there is a real blessing in giving. There's a freedom in having a heart that wants to give. Not for what you get in return but because we recognise that we've got a responsibility to use what we have for God's glory. So where is your heart with regard to what you have, what you aspire to? Are you in fact held back by what you have? Do you know, it's not easy. But that's where the sacrificial pit comes in, isn't it? Many of our situations are less than straightforward. Money is actually tight for many, many people. We may feel constrained by all sorts of things, family situations, maybe a partner who doesn't even share our faith and so we can't really give. I'd encourage you. Wherever your situation, whatever your situation, God knows. And what God wants is your heart to be turned to Him, to be willing to give, whether it's money or time or ability or whatever it might be, practical things into God's hands because our fallen humanity is naturally selfish but with God's help we can change that, we can challenge that we can allow him to take centre stage so that our heart is generous just as God's heart is generous maybe this is the first time you've been challenged in that way to be thinking about what you have Maybe it's a refresher. Maybe it's a re-challenge. But actually, we need to be characterised by our generosity. It's one of the things that's in our, our, our values, that we are generous. And not just with our money, but just with who we are, with our words, even. Because actually sometimes our words can be so mealy-mouthed and miserable, can't they? Sometimes our Christianity can become such a legalised thing as we look around at other people. Don't look around at other people. Look at your own heart, look at your own situation and say, Lord God, help me this day to turn my heart towards you that I might genuinely be able to say, all that I have, God, is a gift from you.